The Old Testament reading for this 11th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Job chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10. Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are, they call, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Jesus got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear Christian friends, God is working. Throughout history, from the beginning of creation, when God's Spirit hovered over the chaotic waters, through this very day, when wildfires have ravaged the Hawaiian island of Maui, scientists are peering into space looking for that farthest star, that earliest galaxy, when countries are at war. And yet still people gather together to worship God. God has been, God is working. His will is being done. He is guiding history and all to accomplish his end, to bring his flock home, to establish his kingdom, to bring his people into everlasting joy and bliss with him in heaven. And I say that, as I say that, I have also to say that we don't have the same vantage point, do we, as God does. We're often caught, like the disciples, distraught and afraid, faithless, in the boat. Like Peter, looking fearfully at the wind and the waves and sinking into the darkness. And thank God that he is there in the darkness with us, bringing us light and salvation. Jesus does not just let us sink in the storm, but he's right there with us, right there with you in the storm, 
with his outstretched hand, saying, don't be afraid. In Matthew's Gospel today, we read this wonderful incident uh, that happened there on the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew wanted you to hear about this. So does John and Mark. They all write about this. This is an experience that Matthew had as he and the other disciples are there in the boat that night. He wants you to understand who Jesus is. And so he writes, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And first we should ask, well, what crowd is this that was dismissed? And why does Matthew use this word immediately? If you noticed, he used it three times in our reading. And he does use it in his gospel. And it really denotes something. Uh, he wants you to pay attention to this. So what is the crowd? And why does Jesus dismiss them immediately? Immediately put the disciples in the boat. For, so for context, uh, this follows the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, you probably remember that. Jesus has just taken uh, five loaves, probably small loaves, and uh, he's also taken two fish, and he's made enough food to feed over 5,000 people there. As John recalls this event, he has something to say that Matthew does not. Uh, and he says this because the people have eaten their fill and the people are ecstatic. They are excited about this prophet, this Jesus. And, and John tells us in his gospel that the people wanted to take him and make him their king by force. And Jesus could be king. He has the people literally eating out of his hand, right? I mean, he's at the top of his game. He's got a crowd. He could easily raise an army right there to march back to Jerusalem, to defeat the Romans, to rule as the greatest king ever, greater than King David. And he would have been that kind of a king, the wisest, the kindest, the most perfect king there ever could be. And the disciples would gladly have assisted in this. And they're dumbfounded and excited, just like the crowd, about what he has just done. But this isn't how it's going to go for Jesus. This is not the plan that God the Father has for the Lamb of sacrifice. And so Jesus hurries the disciples into the boat and sends them off across the lake. Get them away from the crowd. And then he goes off by himself up on the mountainside to pray. Maybe to pray against the temptations of Satan, who would like nothing more than for Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. That would be right along Satan's plan. You know, he already offered that to him, didn't he? After his baptism, Jesus out in the wilderness, Satan says, look at all the kingdoms of the earth, I'll give them to you. Just fall down and worship me. You can have all of this. I'll bet there was a temptation there. After that feeding of the 5,000, Jesus knows what's in their heart. They want to make him king. And Satan is right there saying, look, just think how good this could be. But this is not God's plan. And so Jesus hurries the disciples away and dismisses the crowd and goes up on the mountain to pray. And later that night, it says, 
He was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples are making their way across the lake as Jesus told them to do. And a squall comes up. A, a little storm comes up. And uh, the disciples are working against this storm. They're rowing. Many of them are fishermen. They've been out on the lake. They know that squalls can come up. They're prepared for this. Nothing too bad. We just have to bail and we have to row like crazy to make headway because the wind is against us. The connotation of the Greek word here, when it says... Um, the wind was against the boat. The connotation of that is that uh, the disciples are straining against the wind. They're really having to work hard at this to make any headway and maybe no headway at all, but even to keep the boat from swamping. You know, I'm not much of a, of a sailor, but I've been in small boats, and I know that if the boat is facing into the wind, into the waves, it's a lot easier to keep it upright than if it goes sideways and the wind starts blowing it and now you're rocking like this and water's coming in. So they're fighting against the wind, fighting against the waves. Shortly before dawn, Matthew says, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. These poor disciples, they are just exhausted in this boat. And then they see something coming toward them on the water. And I, I can't blame them. I don't think we can blame them for being afraid. I would be terrified. I maybe, um, I mentioned the Chosen in Bible class. Maybe you've watched the Chosen, the seasons of this. The latest season has the this um, incident in it. You know, the calming of the storm, at least. Jesus is coming to them on the lake, and they do a good job of of showing how fearful it would have been to see him coming. And they they present it as the the disciples are there. They're rowing. They're working hard, and it's dark, very dark. And then a lightning flashes. Now, our gospel doesn't mention lightning in this case, but lightning flashes, and so you see, you know how lightning would be, and you, you see things lit up. And somebody's seeing something way over there, and you see it. They don't say it, you see it. And then lightning flashes again, and, and it's not there. And then again, and it's there, and it's a little closer. And it keeps coming, coming. And I tell you, when I was watching it, it was kind of a spooky thing. It was a little fearful. And I could understand how fearful those disciples must have been. I mean, they've been out on the water, these fishermen, at night, fishing and things like that. They've, they've been in squalls and storms before, but they've never seen something walk, coming toward them, getting closer and closer. What is it? It's a ghost. And I imagine that each one of us has probably found ourselves fearful, afraid, in a similar situation. Not that we've been in a rowboat out in the middle of a squall on the lake in the darkness before dawn, but with a ghost coming towards us, but um, often in the dark, unknown things ahead, unable to see our way through the current storm. How am I going to get through this? How are we going to get out of this situation? What's going to happen next? 
And our fear is a result of trusting ourselves. Because we're not afraid if we think we know what's going to happen or how we're going to handle something or if we're in familiar territory. We get afraid when we don't know how we're going to handle this or what's going to happen to us. It's a matter of trusting ourselves. And uh, that's what creates that fear. I think it's important then for us to note that Jesus is the one who sends them into this storm, this squall. He knows what's going to happen and he sends them across the lake. So he knowingly puts them into this situation. He knew what would happen to them and he waited through the night. He was praying on the mountain. You read all the gospel lessons, uh, all the gospel, the three other three, the other two, and uh, you, you kind of get a better sense of this. He is there and he waits and now it's the fourth watch of the night, which means it's before the dawn. He's been there all night with them out on the lake. I think we can say that he sent them into this situation so that he could come to them. So that he could reveal himself to them in a little different way. And we have to note too that he sees them. I think it's Mark's gospel that says this too. That Jesus saw them out on the water. Whether he saw them with his sight, whether because he was the son of God, it was like the six million dollar man. Sorry for all those of you who are younger than 50 who have no idea probably what that is. But his eye, you know, his bionic eye was able to see the boat. Or whether he just spiritually knew what was going on with them. I can't say, it's we're not told. But he saw them out there struggling and I think waited, just like he did with Lazarus. Lazarus is dying. Oh, okay, we'll wait a couple more days. Because he wants to come to them. He sees you in the midst of your struggles. When you are struggling against the circumstances, or against somebody, or against temptation, when you're just barely hanging on, Jesus sees you too. And Jesus comes to you, just as he did to the disciples. And he says, just as he did to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. In 2014, Eric and Charlotte Kaufman took their three-year-old daughter, Cora, and their one-year-old daughter, Lyra, and they were on, a, on an around-the-world sailing trip. They did this. They kind of lived at sea. They just were starting this new trip. And on April 3rd, 900 miles off the coast of Mexico, a squall came up, a storm. And their boat became disabled. They couldn't steer it. And so they sent out a, a, a distress call to see who was in the area who might be able to help them. And the nearest help was United States Navy's Perry-class frigate, the USS Vandegrift. 
But for all her weaponry, for all her communications gear, for all her manpower and sophistication, the Vandegrift was of no immediate help to the Kaufmans because the Vandegrift was three days away. And to add a problem here, Lyra had become seriously ill. And that's really what made them send out this call. The Vandegrift was going to be no help. You see, it does matter who is with you in the storm. In Jesus, God himself came to the disciples on the water. And he, he used, Jesus used his divine power. You know, he never uses it for himself, but he used it here for the good of the disciples. And he demonstrated to them that he is God in the flesh, that he has authority, even over the wind and the waves. And Matthew says they put their faith in him. This is why he did it, to reveal himself. And there's another storm through which Jesus walked. And in this other storm, he did not use his divine power. It was a storm that had been building for all three years of his ministry. And this storm broke with brutal force that night that he was betrayed and arrested. Jesus didn't struggle against those winds and those waves. And he let them carry him to the rough wood of a cross where he died. This cross that sapped his energy, that exhausted him physically. And God did not come to Jesus, didn't come, didn't send any help, didn't rescue him from that storm. In fact, it was God's will. It was God working that shed the blood of Christ to redeem the lives of sinners, of Peter, of the disciples, of you, of me. And Jesus went willingly through this storm just so that he could say to you, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now someone did come to the help of little Lyra that day in the storm off the coast of Mexico. Although the Vandegrift couldn't come, an MC-130P combat shadow aircraft, think really big, appeared overhead and Kaufman saw four pararescue men leap out of the aircraft and parachute down into the water swim to their boat. And those rescuers didn't leave the Kaufmans alone. They stayed there for those three days until the Vandegrift could appear. And Eric Kaufman uh, recalled later that there was one of these pararescue people, uh, airmen in particular, Sergeant Nathan Schmidt. He's a legendary pararescue airman with the California Air National Guard. He was especially caring to his one-year-old Lyra while she was ill. He attended her, he nursed her, and not only that, but he helped the family in pumping out water and keeping them afloat until the Vandegrift could come. 
All the time, Kaufman said, he acted with a sense of love and compassion that went way beyond what the Kaufmans had expected to find. See, the Kaufmans didn't need a distant naval frigate. They needed flesh and blood to come into the storm with them and save them. And just as surely as Jesus came to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee that night, he comes to you. He comes to me today, right now, in the midst of the storms of our life. He comes to us in his word that we read here, that we read at home. He comes to us now, today, in the flesh and blood that we have in communion, in, with, and under the bread and the wine. He has died for us. He has risen from the dead. And he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And when the storms of life come, when we find ourselves rowing and getting nowhere, when it looks like our boat is going to swamp and we're powerless against it, when we're tempted to despair and to faithlessness, when we're tempted to rely on ourselves and to look inward for those answers, Matthew's Gospel teaches us to take our eyes off the wind, off the waves, to put our eyes on Jesus, to take our eyes off ourselves and to rely on Him, on Christ, to fix our eyes on Him. Because if God Himself comes to you in the storm, the one who laid the foundation of the earth, who determined its measurements and stretched the line upon it, who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, the one who commands the morning, who causes the dawn to know its place, who shut in the sea with doors, who said, thus far shall you come and no farther. If this God comes to you, the one who created you, who formed you in the womb, who knew all of your days before one of them ever was. If God in the flesh comes to you, Jesus who bears the prints of the nails in his hands, the wound in his side, the wounds that he received because of his love and compassion for you, then you truly have nothing to fear. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Isaiah 43 says this, Now thus says Yahweh, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Dear Christian friends, in the storm, look to Jesus. He's with you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.